This is the Mutual Audio Network. This is an Adventureland Media Production. The following audio drama is rated PG-13 for parental guidance. In 1943, the world has gone to war on two fronts. The fates of nations have been thrown into the winds of history. In Southern California, a team of ex-flying Tiger pilots have come together as a request from the President of the United States. Their job? To use their special military skills to protect the American people from all enemies, foreign and domestic. Together, they are the terrors of the skies. This is the story of The Lost Tigers. Tonight's episode, The Clipper Captain. We now rejoin our story as our heroes struggle to discover who their enemies are and learn the history of Sir Edward Henry Scott III. We begin this episode as our Angel Squadron members enjoy their first flight together in the clear skies above the sleepy seaside hamlet of Santa Barbara. on a non-ferry assignment. It's kind of nice. See? No enemy fighters anywhere. Very funny, Gunny. Uh, actually, there's a flight of fighters headed towards us on an intercept course. One o'clock. Very funny, old man. I'm afraid I'm not kidding. Let's not jump to conclusions, kids. It's one of our own squadrons. Wag your wings. No, I'm not getting a response. All right, try the radio. Angel Squadron to approaching fighter wing. Over. We have you on a collision course. Request you change your vector. Please respond. Maybe the radio's down. All of them? I've got a bad feeling about this. What the hell? There's your answer. Break and pursue. doing out here? Why are they attacking us? That's enough chatter. Everybody pick a target. Route number two to one here. Everyone but you, Kate. You get back to Long Beach. None doing. I'm not leaving my friends in a lurch. Kate, get out of here. Yes, sir. 
right after I take a few of these guys out. Mayor, Mayor, it looks like we've gotten some American targets to eliminate this morning. Who are you people? What are you doing? These things are so slow. We have borrowed some of these flying coffins to complete our mission. And what is that? To kill the Angel Squadron, of course, by shooting you. Unbelievable. We were just formed, and now we have enemies. Just like my old days on the Somme. Thank goodness for new material. <laughs> Hitler has only got one ball. Goring has two but very small. Himmler has something similar, but poor old Goebbels has no balls at all. He's officially nuts. Kate, what are you still doing here? I'm going. My turn! Take that, you Nazi turd! So, are you going to get in this fight or not? I got one in my tail! On my way! Just let me finish this! Hurry, por favor! Can you please hurry? Hurry, please! Thanks, Major! Wasn't me. Well, who then? Welcome. Kate, what are you doing here? Catherine. I'm a certified rebel. I don't listen very well. That's for sure. Maybe you guys should have picked some better planes over there. The scarecrow is on the loose. We're going to blow this stuffing out of your scarecrow. Hey, I'm gonna sit some Marcus Zora on your fuselage, pal, just to show you that I can. Yeah, but you guys don't have self-sealing fuel tanks like us. Now you're leaking like a sieve. Light them up, Gunny. Eat some of this, you sauerkrauts. Good shooting, Sergeant. It's just like crop dusting back home, except these pests are more irritating. That was fun. I haven't felt this accelerated in years. That was such a disappointing run. I've only shot two of them. I really must be getting old. You know, you all did a great job. Good tactics, too. Even you, Kate. Thanks, boss. You've pretty much proven yourself up here in a fighter plane. Forget what I said earlier. Ah, uh, you're a doll. With the shooting down of all eight of the stolen American trainer aircraft, the new squadron turned for home their nose bloody for the first time in years.
24 miles north of the newly formed military base, in the oak forests of the Santa Monica Mountains, a hidden compound sat, basking in the warm sunshine. Completely out of place in the rolling chaparral and oak-covered hillsides, the high-walled property was of another time and place. Large blue-tiled pagodas and manicured gardens looked like something out of a samurai fantasy. In the yard before a tall pagoda, a small crowd had gathered to watch display of traditional bushido as two combatants dueled with long Japanese swords, their hakama swishing in the air as they moved. Done well, my friend. Thanks for the sport. Hi, Sensei. Ah, I see that my Teutonic ally has arrived. Please come sit next to me, Baron von Mauger. Colonel Sato, it is good to see you have not lost your flash since putting on that show at the Coconut Grove for our American hosts. Alfred Go? How long do you think you can keep up such a charade? As long as I can, Baron. Your play on being a Dutch representative, lost in a strange land, was... Amusing. Von Brahm sounds like a character from The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. <laughs> that was Brahm Van Brunt. I see you do not know your American literature. You would think I would. I have been here many years. I barely have an accent. I agree. That is a skill I have yet to master. You can still hear that I have a Rhine accent, if you know what to listen for. Californians can't tell the difference. Yes, well, welcome to what I shall henceforth refer to as Rebel Base A113. What is the significance behind that title? I just like it. Oh, well, it's a beautiful compound you have here, Sato-san. So, what do you think of our guests at the party last night? I assume they are no threat to Germany, or the mission we have undertaken. Then you would assume incorrectly. The men we met last night, as well as the host of the party, Miss Fury are all part of a newly formed team recruited to protect the home turf against people like us. All have military experience. I just learned that two of them are ex-flying tigers. And how did you come by such information? Bring them out! At his bidding, two Japanese men dressed in kimonos dragged a man screaming into the garden. He was bloodied. Overweight and middle-aged, with a double chin hanging over his suit collar. The men dropped him on his knees in front of the colonel. This man has revealed much when properly tortured. Isn't that right, Norm, is it? This portly middle-aged man looks to be merely a lonely barfly. I doubt he knows much that would be of use to us. That is where you would be wrong. This man has been going to the Tiki Bar every day since it opened. He even has his own seat at the end of the bar. Best of all, he has been quite helpful. I have gleaned quite a bit of information from him. And I haven't used any of your SS-style tactics to get them. He told me everything I needed to know willingly. Quite the coward. But I can't have him going back to his friends and revealing our existence. If he is indeed a coward, I doubt he would ever say anything. Of course not. How barbaric! 
You cut off his head as cleanly as slicing a bratwurst. What are you doing? In my culture, it is an honorable way to die. Not as soulless as a Gestapo bullet to the head. His information has led me to decide to do something about these flying fools. What do you have planned? I have already done all the footwork by obtaining the intelligence. I placed a mole inside their very home base. What will you contribute, my friend? I will send out a team of my own to neutralize these upstarts before they can even begin to cause a serious harm. I know you will. You are very successful in your efforts on operations like these. The appropriation of U.S. military supplies has gone well this month. You pulled me away from my Beverly Hills estate and my little strudel Hilda to display sword skills and talk of riddles. Come now, my Nazi friend. That huge castle of a mansion is so dark and dreary. You must admit these gardens are much brighter for a man of your disposition. You must be getting weary of schnapps and bratwurst. I can have Soraya cook something up for you if you'd like. No, thank you, Sato-san. Why have you summoned me? I have reports to make to my Fuhrer. We found these scrolls at a temple in Nanking. One of my men almost burned them, but a group of women seemed almost hysterical about it. We learned that they told a story of a secret tomb full of elite soldiers and a life-giving machine that preserves them here in America. I am sure Hitler would be very interested in such a thing, no matter that I believe it to be pure Scheitze. The German Empire is looking for such occult items all the time. Hitler is very fascinated with such items as the Spear of Destiny, the Ark of the Covenant, and the Holy Grail. Do you think there is any truth to it? I know of no such histories of the Chinese visiting North America. Didn't Columbus discover this continent? Many believe a famous Chinese admiral named Zhang came across the seas long before Columbus in a great fleet. Earlier, a Buddhist missionary, Hui Shen, also reports he discovered a vast country called Fu Sang to the east of China. His reports describe landmarks here in the United States. Another well-known story called the Sung Document tells the story of sailors from China discovering the land of Mu Lan Pi in 1178. Again, this is believed to be here in California. The Shang also supposedly visited 2,000 years ago, influencing the Maya. Shall I go on? No, please. I'll have a headache. All I need to know is, do you find any of these reports of a tomb here in Los Angeles credible? Do you think this great machine still works? We will find out together. Your plan excites me, Satosan. I suggest we go forward with it. We must find these clues that will lead us to it before these beastly Americans can stop us. Here is a cup of sake. Drink up and let us salute our newest venture. Once safely back on their tiny corner of the Long Beach airfield, our heroes were met by Bang and the ground crew with cheers and claps on the back. After lunch, AWOL called them into the old farmhouse headquarters building to be debriefed about their upcoming assignments. Let's listen in as the meeting begins. Let's just turn the radio off. I've heard enough of that crooner for the week. All right, everybody. Settle down, settle down. Looks like we uh, had a first flight together. We had a great first flight together, uh-huh. even as a team. Uh-huh. 
Okay, okay. So we got attacked this morning. You know, it tested our skills. It tested our skills. But they did capture that surviving pilot, so oh. he's safely in the hands of HQ. Oh, that's great. Yeah, so... So what now? Well, unfortunately, we now have to move on to more pressing matters. Oh, boy. Yeah. Mr. AWOL? Yay! Your first mission, should you decide to accept it, is based on a revelation that has been circulating through the underground for months. During the formation of this team, a confirmation has come to light that makes the whole thing less of a rumor. A small thing, really. Probably nothing. Do you think we need a small, easy task for our first venture there, boss? Uh, no. But despite your victory in the air this afternoon, the Joint Chiefs have some reservations as to your, uh, qualities. Oh, really? (laughs) Don't file any glowing reports just yet there. We have a reputation to uphold. What my good friend is trying to say is is that you can give us whatever mission you deem important, and we'll do it with honor, no matter how small. Excellent. I have a lot of captured documentation here. This one in particular should interest you. What is it? It talks of the German occult, Japanese captured scrolls, and an ancient machine in the New World. I know it sounds like a pulp magazine plot, but we must explore every whisper deemed a potential threat. We can't have the Axis getting their hands on anything that might lead to a toehold on the West Coast. The Japanese attempted just such an attack in Oregon. Why don't you go ahead and tell us about it? Last year, a Japanese submarine surfaced near the entrance to the Columbia River and fired shells toward Fort Stevens. The fort's baseball field backstop was destroyed. (laughs) Really? That's hilarious. (laughs) Maybe they don't like baseball. It's no laughing matter. Later that same year, a Japanese seaplane attempted to start a forest fire near Brookings, Oregon by dropping two incendiary bombs over Mount Emily. This attack was also unsuccessful. Sorry. It's just that the attempts by the enemy seem to have been nothing short of high failures so far. I'm sure the Emperor is not pleased, but other than that, what do we have to fear? So far, attacks by the Axis powers have been unsuccessful. Must we wait until one of them succeeds? Your team has been assembled to keep this from ever happening, Sir Scott. That is why you are here. So what do you have for us today, Mr. Awol? Catherine Fury, it seems your little glamour party brought forth all manner of information for us to go on. Soraya, the housemaid who accompanied the man from Singapore, came to me and suggested a deal. It seems that she is Southeastern Asian royalty, a princess no less. Her boss is holding her captive somewhere in the Los Angeles basin. She's asking for political asylum if she can help us ferret out our enemies here in Southern California. So, tell us who she's working for. Really. Mr. Go is actually Japanese. His real name is Mr. Shin Sato, and he has ties to the Imperial Japanese Army. He's also a leader of the Inland Empire Group, which has financial ties through water rights, railroads, and gambling, all the way to Las Vegas and as far north as Sacramento. He also had underground gangs going during Prohibition and currently owns several prominent restaurants and drinking establishments throughout the Southland. Sato is a boozer, brawler, womanizer, scoundrel, liar, and a cheat, with a taste for any number of vices. I didn't hear much of an accent. His deep, booming voice could have been just as American as anybody here. He spent most of his life here in Los Angeles, with the occasional trip back to Japan when he was called upon by Hideki Tojo for one task or another. Great, and to think I invited the scoundrel to my party? What about the Dutchman he was with? I I could tell he wasn't Dutch. Let me guess. German? Mr. Von Braum is really an old-world baron, young as he is, through the untimely death of his father. He owns lands in a huge castle in the Rhineland. He also has his fingers in hotel and real estate ventures here in California and three other states. He has claimed he is loyal to Germany, but not necessarily the Third Reich. 
He just doesn't want his title and lands to be taken away or to be thrown into a work camp back home. He feels safe that he is here instead of in Hitler's clutches. However, he will still do whatever it takes to comply with the wishes of the Fuhrer. He was one of the commando members of Ernst Schaefer's Tibetan expedition in 1939 to try and support Hitler's ideas. He really believes in the supernatural. I figured it was something like that. No, you didn't. You said he seemed like a nice guy. Well, I knew something was wrong. I mean, what about that big Russian guy with a severe mustache? I think he's not on the up and up either. Consul General Smirnov? He's an ally in name as well as on paper. He reports to Stalin, but also has a level head of his own. He's conducted affairs above board so far, but we also have a dozen unconfirmed reports of dealings that benefit only Mother Russia. Politically, he has to remain on our good side, but watch yourself. What goes into his ear, Stalin hears. That's good to know, Mr. Awal, but now that you've told us who the bad guys are, what exactly is this little mission you have for us? Colonel Sato and the Baron seem to believe there's a great prize hidden away here in Los Angeles that will further their ambitions. They believe, ludicrous as it sounds, that a great fleet of Chinese ships, bigger than those that sailed with Columbus, were shipwrecked on these shores. Mentiras. That's lies. This land was occupied by successive waves of Native Americans and Spaniards. And the Russians, too. Don't forget those. You know, they controlled most of Northern California, Oregon, Washington, all the way up to Alaska. May I continue? The Axis partners here have come by information that leads them to believe that not only did a few thousand Chinese end up here, but that they couldn't return home. They are still here, gentlemen, and our enemies think they can use these lost warriors to foment chaos with enough force to begin an invasion. Now, if this story were true, and I can't believe any of it, then what good would a bunch of dusty old mummies be to them? That's just it. Sato and Mogger believe that these ancient mariners are still alive, kept in such a state by some mysterious Chinese machine. Wow. If the Germans believe it, and they probably do, knowing Hitler's obsession with such things, then they will probably support any plans the Japanese have to come ashore. It leaves their hands clean. You know, if, if they believe it, then we will have to take it seriously. It is time we find out all we can from these bad guys. I agree. Let's get going on a bit of reconnaissance. We can put our eminent scientists to work, too. Maybe Dunford can figure out a location for us. We need clues. Is Edward asleep? He has had a long day. If I did half the things he claimed to have done, I'd be dead by now. You really think he's done all the deeds he talks about? Well, it's really hard to say, but I've seen proof of most of his adventures in photos or in letters. You know, his shop is absolutely full of artifacts and photos of places he's been around the globe. The trip to South America is where everything changed for him. Tell us about it. Well, it was four years ago, and he was the captain of a huge amphibious plane flying southward in July toward Par Brazil on a cargo run. An American carried a lot of goods that way back then, in addition to all the tourists heading to Rio. And our good Sir Edward was in charge of that run. And it was the beginning of his legend, a shrunken head Ned. Edward struggled with the controls of the massive flying boat as his small cargo crew fought their way west above the dark Amazon basin. His co-pilot, Benny, tapped out a Mayday message on the radio, hoping to be heard somewhere along the busy Pan Am air route. The storm was getting worse, 
and the British pilot knew they would not be able to keep the 38,000-pound Sikorsky S-42 flying clipper aloft for much longer. The altimeter showed the great aircraft was slowly dropping. I don't think I'm going to be able to keep this fat girl in the air anymore, Benny. Just keep us up for a few more miles, Captain. Charts say there's an open area above the river just ahead. Can't we just throw some of the cargo out, lighten the load? That time has come and gone, my friend. Well, make sure you're strapped in, mate. There's going to be a sudden stop when we touch down. The port pontoon support strut was struck by lightning a few minutes ago. Oh, we're going to spin around when the belly hits the water, if we hit the water. The co-pilot turned in his seat to scan the faces of the two crewmen behind them. Whenever the lightning flashed in the brown windows along the fuselage, he could see that the young Pan American Airways employees were terrified. Hang on back there. We're in for a bit of a dust-up. The savage tropical storm revealed the Andes Mountains looming in the distance. And worse, the flying boat was sliding just above the treetops at 170 miles per hour. And the hope for clearing was much too far away. Then, the belly of the airline touched the crowns of the rainforest treetops, and shortly after, all four Pratt & Whitney radial engines were sheared off at once. Flight 45 went down in the dark Amazon wilderness with all hands aboard. Ned was thrown clear of the wreckage, but most of the crewmen were trapped inside. The massive flying boat was torn into a dozen pieces. Huh. Is everybody okay in here? I think I may have broke something. Hold on, mate. Let me pull you out of there. Ned dragged his co-pilot out of the wreckage and into the dark jungle beyond. Benny's face was bloody, his breathing ragged. He went back to the ruins of the massive aircraft and returned with a handful of boxes. Any news of the mates, sir? They're all dead, I'm afraid. Sorry news, that. I brought back food, bandages, and supplies. We're going to be here a while. I'm sure help is on the way, old chap. British consulate would never let me out of their sight. All not too valuable. Hush now, old friend. Let me take a look at you. What God's name was that? I'm afraid we have a visitor. Panthera Onka. What? A jaguar, my friend. I can see his eyes flashing like two gold lights in the bush over there. Gone to the noise of the crash, no doubt. And the blood spore as well. That's our mate you're talking about. 
Yes, and that problem's over. Ours are just beginning. The storm-wracked jungle parted, and a knot of Amazonian natives appeared. Dressed in animal skins, bright bird feathers, and carrying spears. They were surprised to find a mountain of twisted metal in their midst, and foreign survivors alive in the rain. Well, this party's just getting better and better. Without warning, the jaguar leapt at the closest native, scattering the group before they could react. Ned watched as the big spotted panther savaged the nearest warrior. Without thinking, Ned pulled an Enfield revolver from his supplies and shot the animal dead. The injured native scrambled away into the darkness. Nice shooting, eh? I learned to do that from a big game hunter named Quartermain while I was in Africa. Poppycock! Your stories may be full of blood sashes, but I do enjoy them. Oh, I'm not joking, my friend. He was an extraordinary gentleman. Really in a league of his own. The two recoiled as they were surrounded by a ring of angry natives, spears pointed at them menacingly. Their painted faces showed they meant business. Well, that's gratitude for you. Save someone's life and they stick a sharp stick in your face. Well, at least they're not going to kill us. With that, the natives forcibly lifted the two pilots to their feet and marched them off through the steaming tropical forest to their village. The small village was alight with cooking fires and curious faces of women and children staring at them from the huts. A dog barked at them as they were forced past to the home of the chief of the tribe. I am chief of the Jabaro. Why have you killed the sacred beast? Oh, you speak English. Answer the question. Oh, he was after your boy there. If my warrior was to die, that is his fate. That's gratitude. I see your man is injured. Do you have a doctor? Our doctor cannot help you, outsider. You do not belong here. Are you saying you're going to let my friend die? We will honor him and keep his spirit here in the chief's hut. Your headhunters? It is a great honor. Do not be afraid. We have remained unconquered since the conquistadors came. We don't wish to conquer. Our plane crashed. I just have a cracked rib. Surely your shaman can't... What are you doing? You just killed a loyal citizen of the British Empire. Oh, God. Penny. He does not belong here. We cannot care for outsiders. Now, you will be next. Now, wait just a damn minute. I in my culture, we, uh, we honor our dead with songs and prayers. We do as well. Be quick. Edward set his pack down and produced a set of beautiful backpipes. The natives stared with caution at the spindly drones and tartan-wrapped bag as Ned fitted it under his arm and began to play. Why is that horrible? Oh, that is the voice of Benny's spirit calling to the great white god of his people. This god is not the god of the white people the missionaries have spoken of. No, my god is not the god of the other white people. He is uh, the god of the wild people of the northern British Isles. His name 
Haggis! We fear this loud god. He hurts our ears. Haggis is the famous god of the Scots. Ah, he is an old god. Only those with the strongest of stomachs can tolerate my distasteful, smelly deity. But if you make him angry, he will screech and wail to the heavens. Your ears will bleed as punishment. Hear him. Yes, yes, we will respect your God. And teach you our ways until your people can come and take you away. Along with the instrument of his voice. Be strong. And you believe this story? I do. Let me finish, though. After a year in the care of the Javaro, he had gone native, I guess. He dressed like Robinson Crusoe and survived in the greatest jungle on this earth. He says he learned to live like them, fish like them, hunt like them, and work gold even. He could kill monkeys and anacondas with a blowgun. I've seen him shoot that thing. They even taught him to shrink heads, which is where he probably learned the art. Finally... About a year later, two Portuguese missionaries paddled a canoe up the Pastaza River and found him there. They were a little upset to find a white jaguar god who could make the air screech running wild in the very lands they were trying to convert. They got really upset about that. They promptly returned him to civilization. He told me it took him six months to recover and get himself back into proper British society. Nevertheless, he never abandoned the art of shrinking heads, I'm afraid. Hmm. Great story. Did you think he ever really became part of the civilized world again? Sometimes I wonder. Hell no. He may look the part, but he's as uncivilized as they get. <laughs> Quite right, young man. I'm afraid I'm a little too eccentric for polite English folk. Hell, I'm too polite for Scots. Upon the death of my father, I took over the running of his import-export business and moved it here to the colonies. Now I collect items from all over the world. With contacts in Cairo, Peru, Calcutta, well, many of the former markets are closed, officially. But I still manage to get goods out of China, Italy, Greece. That's quite a story. Do you still have some of those skills in your bag of tricks? Oh, what do you have in mind? A little trip to Beverly Hills. I need someone to do a little bit of spying for me. <laughs> I'm yours. <laughs> Sir Scott drove his black Aston Martin 1598 through springtime Beverly Hills as night fell. Ned soon found the house Soraya had described on Bedford Drive, just where it should be. It was a large mansion with turrets and walls of light gray limestone, topped by blue peaked roof lines and towers. It looked like something out of a Disney animated fairy tale. Light sparkled from many tall stained glass windows. Ned parked his little convertible a few blocks away, scaled the ivory outer wall, and peered over with his SAS binoculars. Alrighty then. Looks like the Wicked Queen's castle has a thorny barrier to keep out the unwanted prince. That would be me. Hmm. 
my god, with machine pistols. <laughs> a dragon or two. German shepherds. What else? Watching over the whole bloody kingdom. Huh. First, it's a brew the dragons. Here you go, lads. Quietly now. Eat a bit of steak from the brown derby. Nice little sleeping drug I picked up from my friends in the Amazon. There you go. Eat up. Good stuff, huh? All right now. Off we go. Nighty night. Now for the meatheads packing heat out front. Another gift from the tribe of Brazil. Blue gun paralyzing agent. Nothing serious. Right to the neck, down he goes. <laughs> I used to be able to knock monkeys out of trees with this thing. Okay, now for the rest of the guards. A bend over, Ned. Time for a bit of recon. Five fourteen minutes before the sleeping agents wear off. Let's see if we can find out about our local Dutch baron, eh? Ah, looks like his office. Nothing here to make him look like less than a respectable local businessman. Photo of his parents in Bavarian attire. Oh, sultry-looking Fraulein. An old ivory pipe. Oh, there's nothing German in here at all. <laughs> Hello. That little beauty is definitely not German. A small, simple Buddha statue. Looks like precious stones for eyes. Why would a baron have one of those? Hmm. Now let's find out what's hidden from sight, shall we? Where are those goggles of Dunvers? Ah, yes. Oh, they do work well. Can't see through the wall. Must be shielded. Let's try those heat-sensitive settings. Oh, yes. There's warmth coming from behind that bookcase. A hidden room it is. How droll. Let's see where the hidden lever is, then. Troll statue? No. Inkwell pen? No. Let's look at the bookcase. Oh, how predictable this man has no imagination at all. It's a copy of Mein Kampf? Really? That's it. Maga, you're a simpleton. <laughs> My. A Nazi control center. Maps, radios, filing cabinets, and the obligatory huge red swastika. Lovely. The old knight rolled up his sleeve and turned on the small wrist television that Dunfer had supplied for them. The small screen flickered to life, and Mr. Awal's worried face appeared on the black and white monitor. Ah! The wonders of 20th century technology. Have you found something, Ned? Of course. I found the Nazi command center. In Maga's library. Should I blow the place up? I'm quite capable, you know. No, Ned, please. Just place one of Dunfer's bugs in the room. It will find the best place to listen in on all our friends' German plans. Well, you certainly are not the sporting chaps, are you? Just re return to base, Ned. Come, come, come home. Just cut it out. Stop it already.
tell very well on my way. An hour later found Ned lying half asleep on the ratty couch in the old farmhouse in Long Beach. The other members of the squadron read newspapers and listened to the radio while waiting for Mr. Awal to arrive. Ah, uh, that was mighty pretty. <sighs> yes. It sounded like Gabby Hayes with his beard on fire. I like British music much better. I'm starving. Found a senorita who makes wonderful flour tortillas in the kitchen. And at this point... Everything looks good to me. And it shows. Hey, you're not so skinny yourself, tar baby. I like you just the way you are, Gunny. Well, hello, beautiful. Say, I like your hair up in the bun. It looks different. I like it. Thanks, toots. As long as there's no hot dog in it, I'm good. <laughs> I still can't believe I'm a part of all this. I remember you once said in college I was going places. I also said I chip in for the train fare. Marty Pants. <laughs> I thought you kind of liked me. I do. That's why we're going to give you a gun today. Sweet. Though I should be honest and tell you... What? I've had a gun on me since I was a teenager. I learned the hard way on a trip to the South Seas with my dad. I like to hear that one sometime. I'm sure you will. Evening, everyone. I'd like to introduce you all to someone we should all know very well in the upcoming days. Welcome to the Tiger's Den, pal. Oh, yes, I like it. Just came up with that, did we? Be nice to the poor man. I thought this was a flight school. Saw it on some truck outside. Told you guys it was a good cover. Oh, boy. Pay no attention to these brutes. They're retired and dangerous. This patient man is the W.E., War Emergency Chief of Police for Greater Los Angeles, Chief Anthony Azusa. He works directly under the regular chief of the city, Chief Horrell. Since our service is military in nature, he will be our liaison between us and the LAPD. Hello, gentlemen and madam. Though he wouldn't go into detail, Mr., uh... AWOL here. Filled me in on your general mission here in the city and in California in general. Actually, I've told you what you need to know. The local city government is on a need-to-know basis on this one, and right now you do not need to know any more than that. This mission is on the direct authority of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. What else is new? You military types have taken over since you got spooked. That air raid last year turned out to be for nothing. So, in reality, I've filled you in on very little. Yes, well, anyway, I am the wartime chief of police for this great city, and we run a tight ship. There are over 1.5 million people in Los Angeles today. We're the fifth largest in the nation, so if you need any help, the men of the Los Angeles Police Department are standing by to assist. Actually... What now? We'll be working quietly under the cover of the flight school designation when we're out and about. We figure the general public is better off not knowing who we are. If we need help, we'll call you later. So much for quietly. Stay tuned next time as the members of the Angel Squadron meet their allies and the story of Kate's civilian life is revealed. Remember, now is the time to join the fight. Whenever the enemy threatens our freedom, Wherever liberty lies in the shadows, however difficult the mission, the Lost Tigers will be there. The Lost Tigers, The Shadow of Evil is a non-profit production and a fan fiction. 
a celebration of all the writings, films, and audio of great adventurers throughout time. All music and sound effects belong to their originators. No copyright infringing claims are intended. This Adventureland Media production was created by Alan Douglas and Renee Garcia. Written by Alan Douglas. Directed by Renee Garcia. Vocal effects, mixing, and music by Alan Douglas. Final show mixing by Ryan Osterman. Opening music by royaltyfreemusic.com. Special thanks to associate producers Ian Branson and Brian Kinoshita. Thanks to Kevin Garcia for art design. This Lost Tigers radio drama featured the voice talents of Stephen Tyler as the narrator, Brian Kinoshita as Mr. Awal, Renee Garcia as Gunny Garcia, Alan Douglas as Major Will, Enemy Pilot Number One, Ty Jennifer Grafton as Kissimmee Kate, Daniel Shippey as Shrunken Head Ned, Jason Sasaki as Colonel Sato. Soraya Valifadosi as Princess no Soraya. Tony Quinn as Chief Azusa and the Dead Hunter Chief. Greg Foster as Benny and Enemy pig. Pilot Number Two. You may grow up to be a pig. Or would you like to swing on a star? If you are enjoying this old-time serial drama, come to our official website and see what all the excitement is about. There you'll find all of our podcast information, character blogs, bloopers, etc. We are also on Facebook and Twitter. Tell your friends. For more information, visit AdventurelandMedia.com. This old-time radio drama was made for fans by fans. if that sort of life is what you wish... And now, Mutual of Ohm, providing spiritual insurance for your past, your present, and your future since 500 B.C., proudly presents Wrinkly's Believe It or Forget About It, bringing you strange but true tales and oddities from all over this wide world. And here is your host, Mr. Robert Wrinkly. Hello, I'm Robert Wrinkly. And lastly, here is the story of Johnny Warden of Halifax, Nova Scotia, who, as second mate of the cargo ship SS Montblanc, miraculously survived the explosion of that vessel on December 6, 1917, and the subsequent destruction of the Richmond district of Halifax, and the deaths of more than 2,000 Haligonians, by the simple miracle of having been in the bed of a prostitute neighboring Fort Sackville at the time. He was known as Lucky Jack for the rest of his life. He died in 1947 in Queens, New York, at the age of 62. Interestingly enough, in the bed of another prostitute. Believe it or forget about it. I'm Robert Wrinkley. Ta-ta for now. You've been listening to a special feature of Pulp Paris Theater. Wrinkley's Believe It or Forget About It. Brought to you by Mutual of Ohm. Providing spiritual insurance for your past, your present, and your future since 500 BC. This is Gramercy Noun speaking. We return you now to our regularly scheduled program. The Mutual Audio Drama Network, where we listen and imagine together.